Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Hey everyone, it's Reed. Before we get started, I just want to say thank you again for helping us get past 30 million downloads here on the Lincoln Project podcast. You have us at the top of the charts and I cannot say thank you enough, but I can ask you for one more favor. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell people that are interested in the pro-democracy movement, tune in, hear what we have to say, share it with your friends, share it with your family. Want to say thank you. And now on with the show. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm joined in studio by Joe Walsh, former congressman representing Illinois' 8th Congressional District, former 2020 presidential candidate, former member of the Republican Party, and current host of the White Flag with Joe Walsh podcast. Joe, welcome. Reed, it's so damn good to be with you. Now we finally meet in person. We did a podcast together, I don't know, a couple of months ago. There's always the Twitter, so it's great to actually see you in person. So... A lot to go over, but now as we record this on a Thursday after the Georgia runoff, the 2022 midterm cycle is finally in the books. Feels like it lasted forever. What's your sense of this year and where the GOP, our former party, now stands as it looks into 2024, frankly? Reed, it is great to be with you. I think that our former political party is still a shrinking, dying national political party. I think they're going to be strong here for a few years, especially when it comes to the House. But it's a party of old white men and old white women, and I still don't see them replacing themselves fast enough. So they're still in a lot of trouble. It's still Trump's party. Right. But let me ask you this, because you talk about that it's shrinking. But as we looked at Georgia, again, just as an example, one good thing James Carville noted, right, that Georgia... Yes, it's elected two Democratic senators in two years. All the statewide elected officials are Republicans. And it wasn't close, right? Those races weren't close. close. And if Herschel Walker had been 10% less crazy. He wins. He wins. Yeah. And so I guess my question is, you're talking about demographics. You're talking about sort of a timeline. But my fear is like we don't get there soon enough, right? Because the bad guys could still win soon enough because we are a 50-50 country. So what is it you think, why are so many otherwise normal people still voting for Republican candidates? Why are these races so close? To your point on Georgia, I think it's premature to declare Georgia a purple or certainly a blue state yet. You're right. A normal Republican beats Warnock. Look at Kemp. I think what's helping to prop the Republican Party up is the fact that the Democratic Party has some issues. And because they defied history and did so well this midterm, I worry that the Democrats aren't going to self-reflect on their issues that are still there. And that can really help Republicans read. Look, because of my background, I talk to people in the middle all the time, low information, unaffiliated voters who don't like either political party. And they all tell me, generally, Republicans are assholes. Democrats are kind of like elite snobs who don't understand me. 
And in that dynamic, a lot of people are still going to vote for the asshole. We like to say, yeah, if it's a socialist versus a sociopath, the sociopath wins, wins. six times and twice on Sunday. Hands down. So the Democrats have an opportunity to grab a lot of people last cycle, this cycle, and next, because I do believe the Republican Party is shrinking and they're not replacing the old white men and old white women, my base, right. enough with younger people and people of color, but they do have an interesting connection to working class people. Right. The whole Trump Trumpism thing, working class people relate a lot to some of that. You know, it's interesting. So there's a guy named Rick Smith who has a radio show. He's a trucker. Been on his show yeah, a bunch. He's Great a ter guy. terrific guy, central yeah. PA guy. And I was on his show before the election and we were talking about Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania. And he said that his neighborhood is just filled with Mastriano signs. He's telling all his trucker buddies, you know, if this guy gets elected, they're going to pass right to work, just eviscerate unions. And the guy's are like, I don't care. He's my guy. And so it's a working class thing, but it's emotional almost. It's cultural. It's cultural, emotional cultural. cultural. Completely. And it's not fair. Uh, the Democrats are soft on crime. Democrats want to defund the police. Democrats want there to be 64 different genders. Democrats are just woke, woke, woke. You hear a lot of that. I right. hear a lot of that from these folks because the Republican Party and their media echoes do a great job of just planting these seeds. But it's cultural and emotional. Right. And it's interesting that like so Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is now a leader of the United States House, right? Or she will be, right? Well, she's going to be the speaker. She, she might be. She's in Kevin McCarthy's inner circle with Stephen Miller. And we can talk about that. But it's interesting. They don't like Ukraine, right? So how are they saying not one more dollar for Ukraine until we fix the border? right? They're white Christian nationalists, so they're on the side of Putin, but they're very smart about how they cloak it in border security. But it's also interesting on the crime front, how many different interviews were done in the lead up to the midterm where it's like, what's your biggest issue? Crime. Are you worried about crime in your community? Oh, no, 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 no. But the big city's run by the Democrats. I'm worried about it there. Yeah. But you don't live there, yeah. right? So on the working class front, there's a disconnection from being working class and the things that that means. And then on the crime stuff too, there's a disconnection between the reality somebody lives in and how they think the world is. It's just like when you were a member of Congress, oh, I hate Congress, right? It's got lower approval ratings than STDs, but I love Joe Walsh. Yes, exactly. Right. And so it's just interesting to see that psychological dichotomy. Reed, and I did this in my prior life, Republicans and right-wing media demagogue the shit out of these issues because we're told you want to scare your listeners. You want to scare your voters. You want to inflame them. Right. And I did that too much of that that I'm proud of. But it works because crime and the border and they're coming to your neighborhood and people are coming into the country illegally every single day and they're killing people and the drug crisis. All of that stuff works, especially when the Democrats don't engage right. on these issues and fight back. The Democrats don't know how to deal with these culture war issues and the Republicans demagogue the shit out right. of Right, yeah. You know, uh, Rick Wilson, friend of ours, says culture wars are where Democrats go to die. Which, Reed, it's crazy to me because I do believe on every single culture war issue, more Americans would stand with yes. the Democratic position yes. than the Republican. I don't know why they don't engage. You know, again, we're anthropologists of the Trumpist movement. Now we're also anthropologists of the Democratic Party because we spend more time with them than we ever thought we would. Probably. And we want them to succeed. And we want them to succeed. Yes, because they're the only pro-democracy party we have left. Yes. And there's this, well, I'm afraid to tell people what I believe in because what if they don't like it? Right. And I don't want to deal with that. And 
to your point about the elitism, they're not worried about voters. They're worried about people they're on television with, people that they go to dinner with. They're donors, right? Like, well, you have to stand for something, right? And it's the same thing with, well, you know, that when there's a Democratic president, the stock market goes up, job yeah. creation. When there's a Republican president, stock market is down, there's a recession, yada, yada, yada. I'm like, well, then you guys have to go say that Democrats are the ones that are good on the economy. Like, if Joe Biden in his defense of Ukraine and his ability to unite NATO, they are the patriotic, strong national defense party. But there's something that stops them from waving the flag. I mean, I'll tell you, Joe, I've told this story before. I was in California, I was doing a fundraiser, mostly Democrats. Not surprising. Yeah. Like, how many people hang the American flag on their house? No. Why? Because I'm afraid people think I'm a Trump voter. Like, it's your flag, too. Exactly. Right? Because they, I think sometimes they equate patriotism with nationalism, which they're two different things. You know, it's like in 2020 when we would do pro Biden ads, it would be eagles and fighter jets and all this stuff. And people are like, we can't make those ads. Why not? Well, because, you know, the military and everything, like the military, it doesn't belong to anybody. It belongs to the country. And you should be okay with men and women so like, fighting for the United States. Like, like, Reed, Democrats need to speak like you and I are speaking right now. Democrats need to fucking sit down at a bar in the middle of South Carolina or Iowa and sit down and have a shot of tequila and a beer and just like you and I could and would and like yeah. a lot of Republicans pretend they do. Democrats have to like fight. And I, I don't know why there's such a reticence to get dirty and fight. I think it would be received well. You know, I think about this. You go back to the presidential campaigns of Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. First, they were singular political talents of their time, but also Barack Obama would go out and give a speech to 300,000 people that would have tears in the eyes, you know, everybody aspirational. Meanwhile, he'd have Pluff and Axelrod and everybody else in Chicago sharpening knives. Yes. Right. And he understood, like, this is how I'm going to win. George W. Bush did the same thing. Like, I'm not going to do the dirty work. That's why I hired you guys. And that's the part that, like, you know, it's the book Richard Ben Kramer, what it takes. Yeah. Do you want to win? Do you want to win? And I actually had lunch yesterday with a friend of mine who I had this conversation with this summer where Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said, there is no room for a pro-life Democrat in the party. And I asked this person, I said, what do you think? I agree. I agree. I agree. I said, but you know, your coalition is very diverse and very broad. That's a strength, but it's also a weakness if you don't understand it. And I said, so here's the question. Do you want purity or do you want to win? And she said, well, I guess I want to win. And I looked at her and she goes, well, I guess it doesn't sound like it, does it? I said, it doesn't. Purity is great, but it doesn't exist. And understand, everybody listening to us right now, the reason we're on this is because you and I believe our former political party is an existential threat to our democracy. It is. So right. somebody has to beat them. And I think the Democrats were fortunate this midterm that Trump's ugly mug was out there all the time. The Dobbs decision energized women and younger voters and Trump and the party became an election denying party and they put up horrible candidates. And thank God the American people kind of recoiled against right. that. But these other problems still exist for the Democratic Party. Right. To your point, again, Carrie Lake didn't lose by that much. No. Katie Hobbs didn't run a great campaign. No. But Carrie Lake was crazy enough for it to not matter. Right. Or not matter enough. Thank God. You know, Tim Michaels, if he doesn't say on camera when I get elected, no Democrat will ever get elected in this state again. Yeah. I don't know if he loses. Right. Yeah. But there were enough people who said that's crazy. Doug Mastriano was a nut. Adam Laxalt was a nut. Now, I will say this, too. 
you know, talking about our old party, the Republican Party, is I think they are more likely to go crazier before they moderate, no matter what Mitch McConnell and all these senators who just got reelected, right? They're happy to come out against Trump because they figure they'll be there longer than he will. But we see in the past that very rarely do the crazies moderate. The crazies go crazier. It drives me crazy. And I go on CNN and MSNBC a lot and the talking heads on these networks eagerly kind of putting out Trump's obituary. And even people on our side, on the never Trumper side, saying there's an opportunity here. Listen, I hear from the base every freaking day. They're not on board with blaming Trump for what happened in November. Hannity last night, I love to listen to the first 10 minutes of Hannity, did an, an autopsy on what went wrong. Everything under the fucking sun, except he never said the word Trump. Hannity only says what he thinks his audience wants to hear. He only will say that. I think we're at our own peril if we dismiss Trump right now. No, I, I agree. And the one thing I would note about the Warnock Walker runoff was interesting was that in the wake of November, there were a lot of people saying, do we need to move on, move on? You're right. But never mention the name Trump. Now you see that the Hannity's of the world, the Greens of the world, all of these people are now turning it back on McConnell, the, the consultants, yeah. the strategy, the money, all of that stuff. As opposed to, well, like Trump chose this guy. If they had chosen a dentist from Buckhead, the guy probably wins by seven on election. Yes. Right. But it's Ronald McDaniel's fault. Right. But we, it's need a new, we need a new a chair, a new Republican chair. And then Mark Levin, Reed, came on Hannity last night and he said exactly what you just said. Mitch McConnell, the establishment, they lost for Herschel Walker. I mean, Trump's just going to pick up on that. Well, I've said this before, too, that all of these people these people who think they can take on Trump, they won't say his name. And they all endorsed and campaigned for these people, too. That's what pisses me off. Ron DeSantis, Glenn Youngkin, right? A yeah. normal Republican normal. Yeah. was out there hugging Kerry Lake. Come on. Because there's no path in the Republican Party if you're anti this stuff. Right. So we have, you know, Trump has dinner with Kanye West and crazy Nick Fuentes. And like everybody decries anti-Semitism. But they never say Trump. Right. They say Kanye West is nuts, but they never say Trump. Right. They they won't say his name. And he knows that. And so, you know, Joe, let's talk about this. So you actually ran for president against Donald Trump in 2020. Yes. And I had Melissa Joe Peltier on the show. That show is going to air soon. She's great. And uh, about the documentary of the first probably half an hour, you're prominently featured. You know, you're going into New Hampshire, you're going in Iowa, you're saying hi to everybody. In diners, which in and of itself is a sign of either insanity or bravery or both. <laughs> both. But but you did both. it. So one, tell us a little bit about that experience. But two, knowing that, looking at this field of, you know, I don't even know what they are. But like, give us a little sense of that experience and then how you see these people who would think they want to take on Trump who could actually do it. So in a sense, Reed, in 2020, when I primaried Trump, I mean, even though I'm kind of a somebody, I was a nobody compared to these people like Pompeo and DeSantis. Pence, everybody thinking about taking him on now. Joe Walsh was a nobody. But even Joe Walsh is a nobody, Reed. The minute you get into that, I remember the minute I announced and I went on one of the Sunday shows and I was out there, I mean, immediately death threats from that part of the party, which is the part of the party I used to come from. So regular death threats, constant hate, and you lose all of your supporters, you lose all of your followers, 
and then you're under his wrath. Then he points a finger at you. And you're and again, I'm not DeSantis, Pompeo, or Pence, but once Trump pointed a finger at me and went after me publicly, I'm all by myself. And I don't care if you're DeSantis, Pence, or Pompeo. They've never taken that kind of heat. Right. That's what I've said. They've never faced that. They've never faced that. He's a face-eating monster. Completely. And they have to stand there and decide whether or not they want to stand in front of that. And the difference, and you make a really good point. I think this is a really good point. In the before times, let's call it that because there's no normal anymore. But in the before times, campaigns would spar with one another. And the only time candidates would do it personally would be on a debate stage, right? Which was theoretically a rare event. But with Trump, he's attacking you. Completely. On every platform. On every platform. And your campaign is going to respond to him. Not you, because you don't want to get in the fight with him. But he's coming for you. And every part of his world, to your point, is coming for you. Not for your campaign, not for your policy issues, not for for you. And it's not the same thing. And the thing that I found, you know, you and I were talking before, you said, do you think these people smell blood in the water? Like, even if they did, these people aren't sharks. If they wanted to beat him, they would all be attacking him simultaneously now as bad for the country, bad for the party, bad for everything, overwhelming him. Because that's what we did, right? The thing that yes. our, our magic was, was staying in his face. Boom, you have boom. to stay in his yeah. face. And they don't want to do that. One, because I don't think they know how. Two, because I don't think they've got the cojones. And three, because it means they would each have to give up the idea that one of us is going to win. It might not be me. And I have to be okay with that. So self-interest is still at the middle of all of it. And four, Reed, look, I don't know what the number is, but Trump still has a following, not supporters, followers, devoted cult-like followers, my former friends and supporters, 40, 45% of the party base is with him there. If they wanted to defeat him in 24, they would have stood up against him after he incited a violent attempt. Right. They would have they would have impeached him and said he can't run again. They would have planted their flag there and every step along the way. But they don't and they won't because it's brutal to take his shots. And, you know, he has a superpower in that he has no fucking shame. Right. None. (laughs) It's almost admirable. It's amazing to watch. So to face that and then knowing your DeSantis, Pence or Pompeo or whoever, Cruz, that if you take him on and call him out, his base is going to turn on you. What will Ron DeSantis or Mike Pence or Mike Pompeo say on a debate stage with Trump when Trump says a year and a half from now the 2020 election was stolen? We know that. What's DeSantis going to say? No, it wasn't. There goes the primary voter or Donald Trump's going to be indicted. He's going to be indicted. So Trump's on a debate stage with Ron DeSantis and Trump's indicted and Trump says this is all deep state bullshit. What's DeSantis going to say? It's not. I don't know what they do. You know, you have been a candidate both for Congress and for president. And, you know, now all these people, you've named a bunch of them, are spending time with their families, probably with their close advisors, maybe the person who was their top donor or whatever, over the holidays, thinking about whether or not they're going to do this. And, you know, you used to say, like, you're going to look in the mirror. Can you really be president? Now you have to look in the mirror and see him staring back at you. And you say, can I really take this guy on? A lot of them know him personally, like Pompeo was a case study in like, keep your head down, only agree, right? Like he's as guilty as any of them, but you're going to sit there and you got to talk to your wife. You got to talk to your kids, your husband, whoever it might be and say, do you think you can really do this? Do you think you can really do this? Are you really ready for it? 
here's the other part too about taking him on. It's not on social media. It becomes a real life analog experience where people say, I want you to die. Yes. I want on you a daily to basis. die. On a daily basis. Right. I'm going to dox your address, right? I'm going to make sure the cops come to your house. I'm going to find out where your kids go to school. All of that stuff. And this is what, you know, we're trying to explain to a major media outlet. Like, it's not a political party. It's an ideological movement yeah. based in fear. And to your point about the people that you used to represent, for them, it is an existential fight. Yes. Reed, I still don't think most people get how difficult it is for a Republican to publicly take him on. I did a radio show maybe six months ago up in Canada, and the talk show host introduced me, and he said something that just cracked me up, but it was spot on. He said, Joe Wall's former congressman, blah, 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 the guy who took a blowtorch to his career. And I'd never heard that, Reed. <laughs> but five years ago, that's what I did. When I stood up publicly and said, he has to lose, I lost everything, not just the death threats, but I lost my job. I lost my livelihood. I lost Fox News. I lost right. any future in the Republican Party. You and I understand why most sane Republicans would never do that. So these guys who might want to challenge him in a Republican primary, same thing's going to happen. It's a risk. Before the midterms, my one note was, I don't think anybody's going to challenge him in the midterm. Now Trump's had a bad month. I still would be surprised if major names challenge him. And this is the part too. So thinking about how these things work, Iowa and New Hampshire, right? First and foremost, now you had to do it differently just based on resources, right? But all these people are going to want these big cocoons around them, right? I got, who do I have to hire in Iowa? Right. Who do I have to pay off in South Carolina, right? Who's the flintiest asshole I have to go kiss ass in New Hampshire, right? And so they build these cocoons around yeah. themselves, right? Because that's what you do. But that's not the world that we live in anymore. And I was saying the other day to somebody, you're going to be at a VFW in a Tumwa with 11 people. He's going to be in Des Moines with 40,000. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. And where do you think the press is going to go? They're not going to go to the guy with 11 people, even if his name is Ron DeSantis. Maybe they'll send an AP stringer or somebody right from over in Rock Springs or something. They're going to be where Trump is because they want to see what he's going to say and do. Right. Because that's the news. And so what happens is even if the press says we want him gone, we want him gone, we want him gone. And I assume that they're honest when they say yeah. that. The truth is, is that the eyeballs, the clicks. The ads, everything will want to go where the magnetic pull is strongest, and that will still be him. And so he yeah. will get, like we saw in 2015 and 2016, he will get 90% of the mind share online, on air, everything else, because he's only going to go crazier. And everybody else, they're going to be starved for sunlight like a plant, and eventually they're going to wilt. And then what's going to happen? They're going to do the Chris Christie, which is they're going to take on Trump, and then they're going to bend the knee, and he's fine. Right. He's fine if you attack him so long as you come back, so long as you do the McCarthy, you bend down, you kiss the ring or kiss his ass or whatever it is. He's fine with that because now you've submitted. And once you've submitted, he's fine with you. But he wants that submission. And that's the thing, Reed. Even guys like Christie and Bill Barr and Mitch McConnell to a degree that have called out Trump and that have said Trump shouldn't be our nominee. They've all said, if he is our nominee, I'll vote for him. So then nothing matters. If you're Chris Christie and you're some tough guy calling him out, but if he is the nominee, I'll support him, then forget that. Yeah, he almost killed you with COVID. I mean, he left Mike Pence to die, <laughs> right? 
he was going to be okay if Mike Pence was killed by rioters. It's Trump's superpower. He just right. doesn't care. He just doesn't care. But let's zoom out for a second because we've both spent enough time in and about the Republican establishment, such as it is, the majority of it based somewhere between Washington, D.C. and New York City. Is it that they're so desperate to move on? Is it that they're so desperate to believe that the Republican Party is somehow salvageable, that they'll submit in their own way to this fiction that he's somehow not still in charge? You said it, I think, before we started today. Trump's unfit, dangerously unfit. I think of Paul Ryan, who's been just a silent coward for five years. But Paul Ryan finally came out a couple of weeks ago and said, Trump can't be the nominee because he can't win. If Trump's our nominee, we're all going to lose. So they took this mantle that it's not that he's dangerous and unfit and traitorous. It's we can't win with him. A, I don't think that's an argument that will win them a primary against him. Right. But that's as far as they'll go. Well, and not only that, his people don't care. They don't care. Right. And this is another thing that's hard to understand. Talking to some reporters and some editors, they said, well, the whole idea is to win. And these people seem to nominate people who probably won't win. I said, because it's not about winning for them. It's about belief. It's a movement. It's a movement. It's a movement. And they want one of two things, the person they love the most or the person they can hate the most. Just okay, not what they're looking for, right? They don't want a moderate. One other quick point Reed, yeah. to what you just said, and I think there's a lot of power in this. Trump is a cult leader. He's a damn good one. It's really hard to replace the cult leader and Trump's dynamic. I can't think of anyone who has his dynam dynam dynamism. Thank you, sir. To replace that. And that's really powerful. No, and that's, this is a great point, though, too. First, throughout history, these people never have heirs. Right, 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 right. Like, right. I mean, even if they have kids, they never have heirs. Yeah. And second, he brings the show. The rest of these people are boring. They're conventional. Yeah. He brings the show. He gives them the show. Can any of these people do it? Even when you see them try. It's such a half-assed It's not effort. real. It's, it's not real, real with Trump. Right. He channels it where the rest of them are playing a part and they're not very good at it. There's no understudies here. I think people would love your and my general take on, okay, Joe and Reed, this is fun. You guys are interesting. But <laughs> answer this, is his support thinning? Is he losing some support? You and I primarily talk to two different constituencies. I primarily talk to base voters every day. And I've felt some softening of some support, but I felt that for two weeks after January 6th, and it came back. So to me, the base is generally still there with them. Have you sensed softening? Not amongst the base, because again, we talked about yeah. it, they're in the cult. I think that, you know, you hear the people like, oh, I love his policies, but I'm sick of the tweets. Okay, but it's one package. I think also for softer Republicans, right, for people like I would have been. There's probably opportunity to peel them off. We saw that in 20. We saw that again a few weeks ago. And by the way, this is what's so cool about this conversation. In those prior days, if you were a soft Republican, I was a Tea Party ass. I uh, know. Look, you, you and been, I would have punched uh, each other. You would have been calling me a rhino up and down. I get it. Look, and, and I don't. And I always took that. I never took that personally. I was like, yeah, I am a rhino. That's you were right. a good, decent, normal Republican. Uh, I was the ass. <laughs> but I think the other part, too, though, is that. And let me just use like a family member of mine who's very smart, very compassionate, does a lot of philanthropy, very conservative. In 20, wanted nothing to do with Trump until there was a Democratic nominee. And even if it was Biden. And then 
it became, well, Biden's the socialist. Biden's the communist. They ran the Bernie Sanders playbook on Biden and it almost worked. So once that one on one dynamic, that binary dynamic sets in again, you will see people go, oh, yeah, I can't have anything to do with Joe Biden because what happens? You talked about the right wing media machine. It is an incredibly effective machine. It never stops. It's well resourced. You were part of it. And then once you chose not to go along with it, you were thrown out of it. And so, you know, they'll say, look at all of the things that Joe Biden has done. I mean, I was on the plane the other day and I, I wasn't watching him, but there's always a couple of people watching Fox News on their televisions. Yeah. And Tucker Carlson on Fox streaming, Biden Inc. And then it's why won't the mainstream media ask about Biden Inc. Right. And it all comes back to Hunter and all his horseshit. But that's what will happen, which is people will generally Republicans especially will fall back in line because to your point, like. I'm not a Democrat and I don't believe in democratic things. I don't really like my party, but I, I dislike my party less than I dislike them. I dislike them more, I guess. And here's the other factor. And we saw it after the Mar-a-Lago raid. Republican voters rallied around Trump after that Mar-a-Lago thing. As did the same people who are now decrying him having yes. dinner with these people. And it wasn't just crazy mega people who rallied around him. I heard from a number of normal, quote unquote, normal Republicans who said, Joe, this is bullshit. That's a step too far. Imagine a scenario. Again, this is the other factor. He's going to be indicted. I see a rally around the flag thing with him among the base. Yeah, because again, it goes back to remember what happened after Mar-a-Lago. The ability for the right wing to confuse everything else is always incredible to me. So it's he had a right. How dare they? The deep state. The deep state. Right. All of this other stuff. And then it's like, oh, look, if they could do it to him, they could do it to you. Well, of course they could. If you stole classified documents and had them at your house. Yes. You'd be in trouble. You'd be in trouble. Yeah. Like This is not an unusual thing. But then it becomes, well, you know, this is only the start. They've hired 87,000 IRS agents who are coming to take your yeah. money. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. so now they just build on it. And this is the beauty, Joe, of not having to believe in anything is you can say whatever you want. And so now it's like, OK, when they indict him, it will be this is a witch hunt. They've always hated him. The establishment's always hated him. And then to your point, McConnell will say this isn't good for the country. They'll all fall in line. When he's indicted, would there be a major Republican that would say he deserved to be? No. And you know what? If they indicted him, you know, let's say in the next nine months, the House would probably impeach Joe Biden. Oh, or they gosh. try anyway. They'll try. Right. Or Kamala Harris or something. They'll do something crazy in response. Because, All of this because, strengthens him. Because Trump and the movement will demand it. Right. You have power. You have to use it. And again, read your DeSantis, Pence, Pompeo or Cruz. You're sitting having Christmas with your family. Am I going to do it? You also have to factor that in. He's going to be indicted. It's going to be Trump legal hassles for the next two years. How am I going to deal with that? I can't go against him on those. So Trump can yell, the deep state's coming after me. You're DeSantis. What's your rally cry? The deep state's going after him. Right. Well, and then think about this. So by some miracle, let's say Trump loses the nomination. He will burn every single person down in the process because he doesn't need to get every MAGA voter to no. stay home. He just needs to get enough. And that would be, relatively speaking, easy for him. Ron DeSantis will never be president if Donald Trump loses a nomination. He'd rather see Biden be president for a thousand years, right, yeah. <laughs> than let anybody else sit in that desk. I guess to put a bow on this, there's a lot of reasons not to primary him. There are more reasons not to. 
And boy, I'll tell you what, you will put your life in danger and you could be dirtied like you could never recover from if you do challenge him. I mean, think about it. DeSantis, Cruz, Hawley, these guys are all in their 40s. They're all young. Right? I mean, maybe, I don't know how old Nikki Haley is. Pompeo's maybe in his early 50s. Young, 50s, early 50s, <laughs> right? yeah. And by the standards of Washington, D.C. today, they're, they're spring chickens. Yeah. That's always been the thing. It's like the best thing that they could have happen is he gets nominated and loses. And, loses. and then he's done. And he's done, theoretically. Theoretically. At that point, who knows? But, you know, it's another four years and now he's tilting at windmills and maybe the movement wants to move on. But even then, without him, it's to your point, like it's about him. It's splinters. This is what we've seen before is that these movements, when the leader dies or moves on from the stage, like the movement splinters. And now you have people going out trying to pick up the pieces. What also happens, and this is such a weird psychological phenomenon, is you have people wake up one morning like Rip Van Winkle, like, what's been happening? Where have I been? Right. And they sort of like, whoa, whoa. Right now, you and I have had that moment. Yes. Right. I had you it had it from the beginning, almost as soon as it came to the escalator, right? <laughs> yeah. But that happens. But again, I hate to make it all about him. But again, we have to put it in the context of not a political party. The political party is one piece of it, along with the media and the donors and the front groups and everything else, right? It is a fully encapsulated environment. And that's what we have to see. Somebody asked me this the other day. They said, well, you're a centrist. I said, I am not a centrist. Oh, you're a moderate. I am not a moderate. Well, you're nonpartisan. I'm like, I am a big partisan. Yeah, yeah. Get me, don't get me wrong. Just yeah. not the partisan you think about. And they said, well, you've got Donald Trump on this end and AOC on this end. I said, that's the wrong spectrum. I said, you've got AOC on this end and Liz Cheney on this end on a pro-democracy spectrum. Trump and the Republicans and the conservatives, I don't even want to call them conservatives, the MAGA people, they're over here like in Mars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? It's yeah. a different, they're not part of the pro-democracy movement because they're not pro-democracy, they're anti-democracy, they're authoritarian. And it's just amazing. You know, I mean, Joe, I came into D.C., I was on the train, <laughs> walking through Union Station. You've probably gone to a million yeah. of these events. And there's a big electric company having a gigantic holiday thing. Yeah. And I see a conservative Republican senator like standing at the yeah. entrance. And I'm like, these people, like, they think the world's normal. Like, they really have no idea. Like, when you were in office and a lobbyist came to your door, were you like, get out of here? Because I feel like there are a lot of Republican members of Congress now like, you can't buy me. I don't care what you want. I'm not part of your corporate deal. Do the people here inside the Beltway where we're sitting right now understand what's going on? No, they're in a bubble. They're in a huge bubble. And there's this thing, Reed, where, and I still hear it from some of my former colleagues privately. They've been saying this from the beginning, like Trump is like a storm that's going to blow away eventually. And they've created that bubble for themselves. And part of them still believes it. And many of them are just still trying to wait it out. And as you said, just conduct their normal political life. But when you're in Congress, the House or the Senate, you're in your own bubble. I was never really a lobbyist kind of a guy. But now, like Hawley and Cruz and these guys, they've become their own things. That's really changed. You used to, back in the day, be more of a piece of a party. And we see it on the Democratic side, too. AOC is her own thing. But you become that way. You become your own entity, and it goes to your head. And Hawley and Cruz and some of these guys think they can do no wrong. And, and nobody's going to tell them they And are. they're reinforced every right. day from the people they talk to. That's the important point. No matter what happens with Trump, Reid, you know this. This party, I was a Republican, an extreme Republican, but I believed in limited government, free markets, balanced budgets, all of that stuff. 
free minds, free speech. This is an authoritarian party now. It's out. It is what it is. I don't see that changing. No, and it's interesting. You know, the one thing about Republicans, the Republican Party was always, it was the party of business. And now it's like in Florida, right? They just divested from BlackRock because they invest in companies that have environmental, social justice, and whatever G is. I, I always get the ESG right. Yeah. In Utah, where I live, the attorney general is saying, we're going to divest from Vanguard yeah. for the same reason. These are not capitalist decisions. These are governments putting pressure on private industry for political purposes only. And the only people that will suffer will not be Vanguard and BlackRock because they got a gajillion dollars, but the people whose pensions are invested in this stuff, who are looking for a rate of return so they can get their money. You are a historian. You may disagree with me on the history, but Republican voters have always felt like, and I think rightly to a degree, the government and Hollywood and the media, so many of these institutions have been left of center and we have and blah, 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 blah. And Democrats have used government to blah, blah, grow and go after us. So once Republicans have taken power now, the party has decided, I want to use government, big government, to go after the private sector, to go after companies big and small, to punish them and to use big government to punish their enemies as a way to get back at Democrats. That's anathema to guys like you and I, because we don't believe you should use government to do that. No. Now, I will say this is that I do believe in regulation. Yes. And I do think that we are in the midst of a moment now where there is too much big yes. in this country. There needs to be not so much big, small, not so small that it's inefficient or ineffective, but like we got a lot of big and, you know, that could be government, that could be tech, that could be media, whatever yeah. it is. But you see these sort of consolidations and now consumers have fewer choices. These people now roll through Washington, D.C. I need this comma here. I need this semicolon here. Yeah. And, you know, I was doing block walking in Nevada and this guy goes, well, they're all crooked. They're all in yeah. it. They're all on the take. I'm like, look, I agree. <laughs> like, you're not going to you're not going to get the argument from me on that. I was like, the only difference is like if you choose not to vote, you're saying you're OK with it. So you could say your vote doesn't count. It does count because you have chosen to make a choice. And I think that we yeah. have a lot of fights ahead of us. But I guess the question is, where does this fight take us? So if we're successful, if you and I are successful, then I guess maybe not to put too fine a point on it, you know, the GOP is a smoking ruin of some sort, which maybe there's a foundation upon which someone, probably not me, but someone could build upon. If we're not successful, then, you know, 2024, maybe 2026 is the last free election we might have, but we might not know it at the time. So where do we go? from here, do you think? And by the way, I don't think it's hyperbole what you just said. It's not. I get so tired of getting beaten up when I say th what you just said, because I think it's true. We have a lot of allies on our side who believe the party can still be saved, who believe if Republicans stood up tomorrow and stood up against him, the party would go back to what it was next week. I don't believe any of that. I think this thing now is on a track. I generally tend to be pessimistic. The midterms propped me up a little bit, and I gave Biden so much credit for not letting go of this defending democracy sure, thing. absolutely. And he got a lot of freaking abuse for doing it. But I guess what I'm trying to say, Reed, is there are more of us than them. For sure. The question is, how much danger can they do as they continue down this track? To me, you and I are helping the only other game in town for as long as we have to. 
And I'm resigned to doing that probably yeah. for the rest of my life. I just think about, again, going back to history, it's like you think about the French army in World War I, right? They just had to hold on long enough against the Germans, right? So the Germans couldn't get to Paris. But then you had the British over here on the flank and, you know, everybody's moving back. And sort of like we're over here, right? Which is like you guys got the bulk. You got the candidates. You got the money. You got the party. You got all the infrastructure. Like we're over here like shooting at them from the side, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. And making them turn toward us. And that's what we do because A, they don't like it. And B, because we know them so well, we're much better at it. But I think the one thing that makes it eminently doable is it's we believe it. And, you know, you should always show, not tell. But once in a while, you have to say, you know what? We actually believe in this yes. stuff, right? Yeah. Because to your point about all of the things that you have to go through personally, professionally, your wife's saying, why are you doing this? Right. 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 And I'm right. sure you've had that conversation. I've had that conversation to say, I'm doing it because it matters. Why do any of this? Because these things do matter. Because if you believe that even if written in a context that does not make sense today, that every American has the right to life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness as they see it. If you believe yeah. in those words, then it is your duty to do what you can to make those worlds as real as they can be in a human construct. We don't get to choose when we're born <laughs> and, and we don't get to choose when history puts us at a certain place. And Reed, I love the way you said that. This could be our job for the rest of our lives is to just hold and keep snipping at them for as long as we can. Look, a third party, everybody run as an independent, all of this other stuff. Maybe one day, maybe one day we change democracy, but right now it's all about saving democracy. Right. I, I think. agree. So before we let you go, tell us a little bit about the White Flag podcast. There are very few people in this country who, before Trump, were as divisive as me. I was a divisive political figure. Since Trump, and thank God for Trump because he woke my ass up, I'm trying to do something about that divide. Whether it's my penance, whether it's part of my mission, you and I talk about the Republican Party. Every day and week, I talk to people in the cult that I got out of. Because I want to remove people from the cult. I don't remove thousands every week. I no, remove two or three. This maybe. is what I say. MAGA buys in bulk and it sells one at a time. <laughs> Damn it. I want that. That's Steal good. Steal it. It's all yours. Oh, God, Reed. That's good. So what I'm trying to do with White Flag is sit down every week with somebody who disagrees with me on guns, immigration, you name it, and model how to have a respectful conversation in a world that just doesn't do that. And I think I'm in a unique position as a reformed gangbanger to try to do that. What's the most important thing you've learned from doing that show? I don't want to cut down the whole premise of the show. We're not as divided as I thought. All of this other shit helps to divide us. Social media helps to divide us. MSNBC and Fox. I've had way too many conversations with people where when you, a guy you and I know well, Fred Gutenberg. Sure, of course. Um, Wonderful guy. An amazing human being, lost his daughter in a school shooting in Parkland, Florida yeah. at Parkland four and a half years ago. He and I initially sat down. We didn't like each other, Reed. Right. And he was told by everybody on the gun reform side, the gun safety side, stay the fuck away from Walsh. He's a crazy gun guy. But he said, I'm going to take a leap. So we sat down for 50 minutes and we found a couple places where he and I found some common ground. And then we built a relationship from there. So it can happen. Yeah. No. And I, Fred is, there are few people gang out there who have literally had their heart removed from their body 
never to be replaced, Completely. who get up every day and do the work they believe is incredible to really protecting our kids. And if you haven't had a chance to meet Fred, if you haven't had a chance to see him on TV or, or read him on Twitter, he's an incredible individual. And again, having kids can't even imagine, can't, but he gets can't. up every day and he does yeah. it and, and just, you know, so. So it's that kind of thing. Yeah. I don't think we're as divided as people want us to be, but we are divided and there's a great incentive not to do what I do every week. Because maybe, Reed, there's a hell of a lot more money in just picking your tribe. I think that's absolutely true, which can be very dangerous crown to tread upon because now people are like, wait, 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 wait. You don't think I really believe in what I do? I'm like, you might. But I'll also say this. If that problem was solved, like, what would you do with yourself? Yeah. Like, here's the thing. Yeah. Joe, if and when we save democracy, yeah. like, I want to go do something else. I want the opportunity to say, now we get to go do the things we want to do because we have been successful in this Say fight. that again. That's a really important point. You don't want to do this forever. Right. Thank you. Who would? Thank you. Right? Thank you. I mean, I love what I do. Don't get me wrong. Like, I feel in a weird way, Joe, incredibly privileged to be able to yeah. do what I do every day and to do what we do every day. To engage in this fight. Right. And I do believe it is the fight. It of is our a time. fight. Completely. But at the same time, like, if we're doing it 20 years from now, it's a different country than we hoped it was, a different country than we thought it was. Or maybe the bad guys did get there fast enough. They did get to Paris. You know, when you talk to a lot of Democrats, oh, I want to go back to arguing about policy with you. Like, I don't really want to argue about policy with anybody, right? But it's a nice thought. It's, it's a, a nice, nice goal. Thought. It would be an improvement. Right, it'd be an improvement. All right, well, before I let you go, first, I want to say thank you for joining me here in studio. Where can our listeners find you online and where can we find the White Flag Podcast? Follow me on Twitter at Walsh Freedom, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, White Flag with Joe Walsh. And final thing I'm going to say is it's so damn good to sit down with you. Absolutely. Um, thank you. No, thank you, man. No, no, no. Don't steal the mic from me. <laughs> thank you, Reed Galen, for what you do. Oh. Thank you for what the Lincoln Project has done from the beginning. Thank you for, and I don't throw this word around casually, the courage that you all at the Lincoln Project have displayed because you take shots and arrows every day and you have for years and the organization has, but you have just been steadfast in the mission. Listen, man, you just got to put your head down and keep after it. Um, as always, gang, you can find me on Twitter and TikTok at Reed Galen on Instagram at Reed underscore Galen underscore LP. Joe, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Reed. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. If you want to message the podcast directly, please send an email to podcast at lincolnproject.us and if you want to personally join the fight to save our nation's democracy visit jointheunion.us for the lincoln project i'm reed galen i'll see you on the next episode